Welcome to Mamas the Podcast. We are your hosts, Lauren Wetmore and Sky Gooden. For this episode, Lauren spoke with the artist Isabel Lewis, who describes her multisensory work as compositions within time. Throughout this season of the podcast, I've found myself asking each of our guests to talk about how experiencing art feels. Maybe this has been a way of grounding our conversation, to keep them from floating away into theoretical or professional abstractions. It's definitely yielded some of the most memorable observations for me. From Katerina Gregos's near-transcendental experience with Caspar David Friedrich to Francis McKee's hunger pangs for Janine Antoni's sculpture. It's true. Jin Bronwyn Lee memorably talked about smell, or stench, really, evoked by her paintings. And Dushko Petrovich about his relationship to a painting by Chuck Close, how its impression that was left on him was about physicality and wayfinding. My conversation with Isabel Lewis was a particular pleasure because the way she thinks about and makes art is specifically concerned with how seeing and knowledge production are deeply embodied experiences and processes. Trained in classical ballet, Isabel's works are a confluence of philosophy, choreography, storytelling, and sensory aesthetics. They are complex and often ineffable experiences. So let's let Isabel take over. Here she begins by describing some methodologies of her practice. In some ways, I, see, I start to see the works more and more as these like attunement processes. That's like kind of a, a way of inviting a public into a scenario for the, kind of the, t- the tuning of the senses towards kind of a, a greater sensitivity to reflect upon hmm. uh, different themes. Um, and how we approach um, bodily attunement as as a kind of practice towards becoming receptive and becoming sort of capable to respond to um, social situations, political situations, um, ecological situations. How do we navigate new forms of togetherness, not only sort of between human relations, but our our relations with things, other things, non-human things. The idea of this season was to talk to people about, I mean, again, this question becomes more and more nebulous every time I have a conversation with somebody, but um, to talk to people about what's important about art, why they do it, why they seek it out. Mm. And because you have such a specific way of working, I wonder if you could talk maybe about how you came to develop that way of working or how you came to understand that there were ways of working that you wanted to pursue that were important as opposed to ways that were maybe like already established around you that you didn't find interesting. I think for me, what I start to understand, like these things, of course, grow in very slow and very organic ways over time. But the, the more kind of history I have behind me, the older I get, the longer it's like now it's sort of 15, 16 years that I've been making work, I can start to sort of see that in, a, in some ways what I've been moving towards has always been a question of um, interrogating how is it that we see hmm. and how can I shape the conditions for experience or for viewing in different ways? Because I think what I was identifying early on was a certain like problematics that I felt with how we are educated to see inside mm-hmm. of like a Western canon of education and of aesthetics. Start to find these like threads inside of the work um, that led me towards 
being extremely and urgently obsessed with format and um, the need to try to invent, create, expand upon format because I felt that established formats, the ones that I had grown up with, which for me started really with um, classical ballet and theater, Mm. I was noticing the ways uh, that these particular formats conditioned ways of seeing and these ways of seeing seem to be about classic sort of Kantian aesthetics of like distanced disinterested observation and feeling that 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 kind of way of approaching the world seemed to also be congruent with a lot of the problems and social ills that I felt in the world and that I was experiencing myself as a woman of color and all of these the markers of my otherness inside of a particular culture that I was growing up in and being educated in. My sort of identity markers, not something I was ever thematizing in my work or that I was ever really overly focused on, um, but I could see that somehow this search for format or this, this urgency around the need to, to reshape how we see and how we approach um, others um, and how we might even approach that concept or the notion of ourselves in relation to the other, there's clearly like an urgency inside of that that I think comes from my particular place, uh, my particular subjectivity, sort of who I am and how I'm seen in the world. And also, I guess you're to that point specifically, your perspective as somebody who is a performer who has performed. And so it's not necessarily how you're being or it is it's how you're being taught to see, but it's also how you are feeling people are being taught to look at you. Yes, absolutely. I think finessing the complexity of what all of that means, what that relation is, mm-hmm. um, it doesn't break down as kind of simple binary power relations. It's much more nuanced and complex and kind of um, shifting. And, and I, I realize that, that that condition, that fact of sort of this, the seeing and being seenness and exploring the different ways that that becomes a kind of choreography in and of itself is a really deep interest. I can sort of trace that throughout all the different works as well. This attention to, or like sculpting the attention to that process, bringing kind of a heightened like awareness to this very simple thing that we're doing all the time. Um, the Enlightenment era inheritance that we have is that like to, to see it is to believe it is that it's real. It must be true. Um, just to, to, to interrogate that process that like, is it though? <laughs> is it mm-hmm. really? And can we really trust what we see? Um, and what about what we feel? And what about all that spills beyond what's in the realm of the visible and the quantifiable? And how do we train ourselves to become cognizant of those like qualitative features of something? Hmm. It's like you're working forward in time from the beginning of time. So like, as I knew you when we were working together, you were really interrogating the ideas that were brought forward by sort of a classical era of philosophy. And now you're moving on to the Enlightenment. In me is a desire to kind of understand how we got here, sort of as contemporary people in this part of the world, how did we get here? And sort of trying to always get at, I mean, I think I've always been drawn then to philosophy, to sociology, trying to kind of understand the ways of thinking um, that shape our ways of being in relation to one another. That quest is like kind of takes me 
into sort of like trying to trace the the ways that the West tells stories about itself and trying to understand those stories, how they're told, why they're told the way they are told and and kind of in some ways, I feel like by having like a more nuanced understanding of of the of the ways that you know the things that have shaped our thinking, there might then be a space somehow of agency to like operate upon it in some kind of you know very subtle ways potentially. And this is what becomes interesting about aesthetics. And like when you're asking me like why is art important, it's like yeah, because inside of aesthetics is politics, is ethics, is you know it's these things are so integrated. And to be able to kind of understand. Um, Aesthetics is to also be able to to have access to understanding ways of thinking, being, and doing. If you wouldn't mind telling me about an early experience with a work of art that deeply influenced you. The first thing that comes to mind um, is seeing Swan Lake uh, mm. as a child um, and going to the ballet. It was quite fortunate that somehow my my this childhood years were in like sarasota florida a small place but they had this van, van wazel opera house and they had a ballet company and like in this small town i sort of managed to see some great orchestras but this experience of, of seeing swan lake and seeing this very fantastical world being built on the stage this was this definitely had a huge impact on me. I mean, it, it's, I wanted to embody what I was seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to, to kind of feel the transformative potential in movement, in dancing, in choreography. And um, definitely I was tuned into all of the, the features that sort of created that spectacle you know the the orchestra in the pit and like the excitement of like hearing this like live instrumentation this feeling of it um surrounding you and like filling the opera house um Mm. the the movements of the dancers like the this kind of transformation between animal between human form of the swan it's like definitely there are things that are still they're inside of that that still resonate, I think, inside of my practice today. It's just sort of I've had to now figure out the ways of um, shaping those those conditions of viewing differently. But definitely I can remember feeling transported and feeling this like immersion into this world of that ballet. I wonder how much kind of physical skill and technique are something that you had to or if there's something that you still consider or if it is something that you had to, in a way, put away. There was an entire period in the early part of my career where I felt the need to kind of erase this training that I had really ingested and was like really imprinted upon my body. Mm-hmm. And I like through a, a, a long process of, of like working through that and like choreographically, and I realized that this is actually not possible. There is like erasure is not really thing the body imprints the body absorbs and I had kind of written my body differently or my body had been written upon with this kind of information coming from um, 16th century France uh, mm-hmm. so this was like a very um, strong thing and a very intense thing to do to one's body is to like you know and of course when you start with classical ballet you tend to start quite young so before you've had the chance to really interrogate the value systems that you're imprinting upon yourself mm-hmm. um, 
but once sort of, you know, sort of this is my early 20s, like sort of analyzing that, trying for all of these different ways to, to kind of counter those things. Um, and that, that also meant a certain like moving away from training my body, allowing my, my body to also take a different shape, a different form. Because mm-hmm. of course, like when you train for ballet for many years, um, you're really sculpting the body. It's almost like topiary, you know, you really are like, um, creating a particular shape. And then I, I wanted, you know, it was a very conscious choice that I wanted my body to, read differently i did not want the the body that was present in my work to announce itself as um a technician as an expert as a superhuman being you know i just mm-hmm. kind of sort of wanted to have this a body that could be um related to by by a public you know a body that did not signify somehow it's it's like mastery of a technique let's say mm-hmm. so this was definitely a particular a conscious choice on my part, but nonetheless, all of that information remained. Um, and I realized that, that the best way to deal with it was in fact, to kind of layer this information, um, and to make it more complex by layering it with other kinds of codes and information. So this is kind of where my obsession with learning, all kinds of dances, like like really like I, I try to kind of imprint upon my body as many dances as I can. And when I travel to different parts of the world, I make efforts to learn um, the dances, to imitate a dance that you see from another culture, not to be able to master it or own it in any way, but it nonetheless um, imprints something differently upon your body. So I think this is a kind of ongoing, lifelong obsession at this point. And this also leads to my kind of interest in sociology and habitus, this idea of the the ways, the kind of embodied habits that we, the habits of the body, the habits of, of posture that we learn um, culturally and kind of recognizing that as a choreography in and of itself um, and just kind of getting rid of any idea of like a neutral body or kind of blank canvas idea that comes through like kind of modern dance tradition. Um, no such thing exists. Like there's nothing um, neutral about the body. So you can only ever make a more complex like web of information there. It's not actually possible to to delete or um, erase. Only to layer more on top of. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Can you tell me about a, a dance that you learned recently that, that struck you as very different from some of the practices you had been trained with or had been practicing beforehand? Yeah, I mean, something that, that really interests me is is the way in which, um, well, I'm going to say one thing that's a bit more general than one dance that's more specific is that sort of in Western traditions of dance, um, when you're learning like classical ballet um, or modern dance, what we understand now as contemporary dance, um, there is no specific training for the hands or the face. Hmm. Um, and I find that really unusual um, because when you you can really go to a lot of when you go through like many different cultures from like Balinese dance to um, different dances that you might find in India um, you have like very specific training for hands and also for facial gestures and eye gestures Um, and I, I don't I still don't understand what that's about and how that came to be but I find it like a very interesting uh, feature in some ways the face I've also learned through through different dances that 
the the hands and also through my own choreographies that the the hands operate similarly to a face in terms of when a human watches another human we tend to go towards the face and the hands for understanding and for communication hmm. um, so I'm not uh, so there's there is in ballet you have a certain a posture of holding the hand Mm-hmm. Um, but you don't actually have like articulated movements inside of the hands or the face. This is kind of incredible and fascinating because it took quite some time for me to train or to, it was a, as though my hands were completely uncoordinated. Once I started approaching these other dances, it was like all of these years of training and dance. And I just suddenly felt like, wow, I have zero articulation in the gestures of the hand and now that's something that I've like actively worked on and then same with um the face and the eyes and to be able to to articulate a vocabulary of how you use the eyes um it tends to be in in also the traditions of western dance that you you send the eye you send the gaze or the eyes like in the theater tradition you kind of the eyes go outward to some kind of imaginary distant place and this is the kind of habit of performers in this part of the world. It's very interesting. So, so one of the things that I'm often spending a lot of time on when I'm creating the pieces in the U.S. or in Europe with performers, that local, I'm always working with local performers, is sort of about like how are we using the eyes and like why are we projecting, like what is this impulse to project the eyes outward to the like imaginary distance like we're here in a space together and like can we actually work on articulating a choreography of the eyes that works with the the, actually the space that we're in and the situations that we're in um and then there's all there's so many ways to do that that's never ever articulated um in the the traditions of of western dance how do you feel like citing a performance in a very specific space is something that lends an importance to that performance or, or lends like a, how is that aspect of it as important as what is going on within it? Mm. Kind of through my interrogations of how we understand the body and how we understand seeing and perceiving the body, that same interrogation kind of started to extend itself to these places of presentation in Western traditions. So when you have the the, the site of the gallery or, or the contemporary, more contemporary, like the idea of the black box theater, or the modernist theater, theater in the history of the West also had a very different nature at other at other times. And centuries ago, you would have theater where that was much more, it was a social gathering. It was a social event. And there was kind of space or it was understood that part that was about sort of seeing and being seen, communicating, talking, um, meeting encounters, having romantic encounters even. Um, Mm. But now sort of the modernist understanding of theater is something very, very different. And what sort of the black box theater and both and and also the white cube gallery try to kind of project a a neutrality, a sense of a sense of non-place where Mm -hmm. then the kind of the director or the choreographer or the person with the vision can sort of um, project into that world or like create their world on a blank canvas. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think the ways that I had interrogated and understood then the, the body as a kind of let's say a completely non-neutral site, um, I started to read spaces in that same way as extensions of bodies, as spaces, also as the specific kinds of rituals that we create inside of them. And thereby kind of every every space became a site, you know, whether it was a gallery space or whether it was um, a former mall, like a kind of gutted 
space, as it was in Selfridges, or if it was a home or a park, um, suddenly, or let's say suddenly, let's so, like say in the process of work <laughs> of working and creating creating like relations with space the sort of specificity of each place i wanted to include it as a as a protagonist inside of the work and hmm. to never really approach space as neutral i think that kind of then opened me up to working in many places um mm. suddenly there was not this necessity to kind of locate it in traditional places of presentation and and became like a kind of curiosity to encounter uh different kinds of spaces with different kinds of stories and different kinds of energies within them being in any particular space is, is sort of it holds a certain energetic presence in and of itself by its particular history and that really is for for any site and I think my goal when I enter a space is to have a very light touch I try not to materially transform it but rather to use the kind of gestures of performance and composition and space and time with sound with subtle interventions to operate upon that sometimes I'm really working with that established code inside of that space and then oftentimes I'm also um, tweaking it or, or twisting it or transforming it um, slowly over the course of the piece. Maybe to go back to that um, the word that you used suddenly and then stopped yourself <laughs> um, I wonder was there was there a moment that you can remember where you were performing or you were performing one of your works or somebody else's and you felt suddenly that there was a connection with the space around you that felt profound and important um, in a way that it hadn't before? When I think of sudden, because uh, I think a lot of these discoveries or, or like under new understandings for oneself, they tend to actually develop so, so slowly. And yes. at some point, the, the moment that you actually perceive it, it feels like, ta-da, like there's that moment. Right. But like it's always been there. It's always kind of been there, just sort of, sort of like slowly processing, fermenting, digesting, and then sort of it comes to this moment where you're able to sort of articulate that. Right. Um, yeah. And then that feels sort of sudden, but I realize these processes are so slow, but there is a moment there. And this is like a really crucial moment actually inside of the path I would then take in terms of dance. Like mm. in, I think I was maybe 16. I had been studying only classical ballet. And then this is around the time where I start to, to study modern dance and contemporary dance and mm. improvisation and these more experimental forms of movement. And um, my teacher at the time, uh, whose name is Mark Heim, who's he was leading like an improvisation and he was utilizing kind of this technique that comes from theater, I believe, called viewpoints, which is sort of a particular way of understanding space that's like actually very architectural, very geometric in some ways in terms of imagining a space around yourself. And I can remember he's like kind of guiding this improvisation and it was just a very subtle note. He was like, try initiating your movements from the edges of your body rather than from the kind of the center of your body being that the training I'd had until that moment, it was like maybe bringing me to, to initiate movements from the sort of the torso or from mm -hmm. the, the kind of core of the body. And this I can remember as a very sudden flash because it was a, it was a sensation. It was a particular sensation of moving 
that I had never felt before. It was sudden. It was like from the fingertips and from my the edges of my toes, like sort of from the edges of myself, I started to try to initiate movements. And that was like a blast. I can almost feel it like a drug experience. It was like a blast of new information suddenly, like a new sensation in the body. And in that very moment, I, I had a very different understanding of my body in relation to space Prior to that, it's sort of you're, you're with this ballet training, you're really often thinking about the lines that you are producing. You sort of have this internal sensation of your body and then what what it is producing or representing for the eye that's viewing. Um, so it's it's not so related to architecture or to space. And then that that sensation of having of suddenly feeling a communion or a connection uh, with space, like that is a feeling that I actually took back into my my ballet training and actually strengthened my ballet technique um having this kind of new experience because i could i could feel that i was like supporting myself through the kind of lines of the architecture not only from sort of this kind of inner will or inner strength have you felt similar kinds of instances of that moment where you feel as a performer you're connected to the space and to the audience or the people that you're moving around successfully? Like, can you tell me about a moment where you you felt like it was working? There is a recent work of mine. It's it's actually from this year in collaboration with Labour. They're also uh, composers, a Berlin-based musical entity. And we created a work for Gropiusbau in Berlin called Expanded Viewing. Uh, This work very unique in the sense that the work itself is a duet with a famous, a very famous painting. Um, it's Euronymous Bosch's Garden of Earthly Delights, mm-hmm. the central panel, just the central panel of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never, yeah, created a work in conversation with another work of art, and this was a very interesting and special opportunity to do so. As the as the guide, I kind of had an initial choreography in a room alone and then I sort of move through multiple spaces where visitors then encounter different moments of um, experience. So in, a, in the following room there's uh, a scent and the public um, sits around this um, literally just actually sits in a room and smells together. There's this <sighs> kind of scent of um, a garden, the idea of a garden. The, mm-hmm. the following room, it's a room for listening. Um, so there's really, the, the gestures of performance are so subtle. You're really seeing the performers in the act of breathing, in the act of listening, in the act of touch. So another, there's another, yet another space where um, a duet is unfolding between two figures that are in contact. And it's, a, it's all about touch in that moment. And then yet again, another space where um, someone is playing an instrument and they're having this very, but they're not really addressing the public. They're inside of their own relationship with their instrument and with sound. Mm-hmm. So um, these gestures are not, they don't perform loudly. That it's um, Performance is almost too strong a word to use in relation to these gestures. They're sort of, the performers are sort of being and doing and they're inside of specific practices um, that, the visitors are invited to kind of join, but in no, in no kind of, there's no verbal guidance. There is no, nothing telling you what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's, there was like the need to sort of, with my own presence, kind of generate this kind of focus and concentration and calm and mm-hmm. quiet and trust. Like I realized that in these kind of works, there, it's important to have a sense of like, 
there's a certain sense of trust that has to be established in some ways that um, the sort of the composition as a whole can give it's sort of like, this is a situation that's been constructed and this and composition, I guess for me is a form of a form of care. And we managed to really get this. The visitors were almost in a kind of meditative state along with us, um, the performers. So sort of once they move through this course, they arrive to sitting in front of the painting. Um, mm. And I heard a lot of feedback about the ways in which people saw the painting differently. I mean, such a pop icon in a way, this this painting, like we've all seen millions of reproductions of it. It's sort of a ubiquitous image almost for art history. And then you know, people did comment to me the ways in which their vision was tuned differently, that they saw the painting differently, that they noticed things in the painting that they'd never seen before. Yeah. And this this was kind of a, an interesting feedback that I was getting where I felt like, okay, not only did I kind of feel that as being this kind of shadow guide in the space, I could observe the energetic quality of the visitors, which was not rushed or hasty or impatient or anxious. It was rather settled and it was calm. And it, and it required that. And like, if it would have not managed, like it was a very delicate thing to, to sort of achieve. It was an easily also broken. As a performer, you have that privilege of, of feeling the way your work is being received mm. in the moment that it is being received and perhaps being mm. able to adjust for those different feelings or not at all. Um, but to that privilege, there's also the kind of, maybe the downside, which is that, there is really only that one instance of experience. Mm, Whereas mm. you have an artist like, say, Bosch, where he will never, he will never know the, the incredibly mm. varied ways in which people have approached his work. Mm, but mm. there is the privilege to that work of art because those experiences will be endless. Mm, mm. And I yeah, wonder absolutely. if that's something mm. you like, you kind of balance. I don't, worry myself too much with this notion because I think there's there's also something about I guess and how I've come to understand the world and understand sort of my role in it and how I work inside of you know my particular field mm-hmm. um it's I have this very deep acceptance of like the processual nature of all things mm-hmm. there's this way that like the the tradition of art history like kind of Western, the, the tradition of like Western art imagines itself as endless, as forever, as a, a sort of this gesture lasts forever. And it's true that these gestures last hundreds of years. As you know, the Bosch painting is from the 1500s and it's still impacting visitors. It's almost like a portal actually in time. But there's this way in which kind of depending on from how far you're zooming out or something, <laughs> right. then everything is in a, in a state of, of of process transformation. There's nothing kind of infinitely stable mm-hmm. um, really about anything. In some ways, it's like I'm, I feel the work that I create, it's, it's something that happens in time. I think that that's my craft or what I've been able to, to hone in my lifetime is sort of this craft in relation to composition within time. Um, and yeah, that means that those experiences happen for those people that experience them. And then, yeah, somehow the gestures as kind of stable 
fixtures and time dissipates. Mm -hmm. The work lives on in whether it's memory. I mean, I think for me, it's been very interesting to work with scent as a very uh, strong aspect of the work. And by engaging all of the senses inside of the work, there's a way that this approaches ritual in the sense that like the, the strength of the memory, the strength of the imprint. Mm -hmm. It is something that I think about in terms of making sure that imprint is really strong. I think there's also different parts of my practice. When I think of the the moments of presentation, this is sort of only one aspect somehow of like what I see as the totality of my work. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that in some ways, like I feel like that that which like lives on is also in things that I pass on through also pedagogical formats. So there's something that I'm um, working on now or that I established uh, last year at Gropiusbau, but also now ongoing in my studio in Berlin, um, what I call the Institute for Embodied Creative Practices, which mm -hmm. is a kind of flexible, it's sort of more of an idea of an institute. It's a, it's a kind of artwork in and of itself that's kind of an ongoing research, like a node, I guess, of kind of research mm -hmm. around um, with these kind of ways of, of both engaging with these kinds of multi-sensorial live performative experiences, but also kind of articulating uh, different kinds of bodily techniques. And this, so this something that, that happens with, with a community of people that, that slowly grows. And this is like, I see that as like a, a long term or as like a lifelong project that I will initiate, but that others also inhabit. Um, and that others contribute to. In a way, what I'm getting at is that these kind of social bonds that are formed in and around the work, that these are important to me. And I see these mm -hmm. as as having a kind of um, something that, that persists inside of that. Momus the Podcast is edited by Jacob Irish, features original music by Kyle McRae, and assistant production from Mitra Shiram. We would like to thank Isabel Lewis for her eloquent contribution to this episode. If you would like to inquire about advertising opportunities or other forms of support, please contact me, skygooden, at momus.ca. This has been episode 14 of Momus the Podcast.